The scripture reading for this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of the miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Well, good morning uh, again. Uh, my name's Brent. I'm the pastor here at Christ City Church. It's my joy to, to be with you this morning to bring the Word of God to you this morning. If you don't have a Bible and you're visiting, we'd love to give you a Bible. Uh, so you can just raise a hand and one of uh, the people here sitting next to you would be happy to. There's a hand over here. Uh, we're happy to grab, go to the Connect desk and grab a Bible and bring one to you. We'd love to, to bless you in that way. Um, well, we're in our second week after returning to our series in 1 Corinthians this fall. Now, a series that we began last fall, paused for the summertime, and now are back into right now. And we're in this brand new section in the letter to the Corinthians where Paul begins to address questions they had about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if you're new, that either intrigues you freaks you out a little bit, uh, fills you with trepidation. Oh no, what church have I walked into and where are we going? Uh, there's many different ways of responding to that reality that we're now in a section where for several weeks or quite some time in chapters 12 to 14, we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But don't let that freak you out. I want to encourage you with just the truth of the reality of what we're talking about this morning. See, the great miracle of Christianity is this. It's a miracle that we can be forgiven. You come in here with, with burdens and, and guilt and with shame. It, it's the beauty that you can be forgiven. And in that forgiveness, you become reconciled to a holy God. And as we're reconciled to this holy God through Jesus Christ, who, who died and was buried and was raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father, what the Bible says is that he pours out his Holy Spirit on his church. There's actually a, a new life miracle that's been at work for 2,000 years in Jesus' people. It's this beautiful, incredible thing. Maybe it's a thing even that you were longing for as you walked in this morning. And it happens to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, also gives particular gifts. Gifts that have been mentioned in this passage. Gifts that we're going to talk about explicitly, not this week, but next week. We're going to Start unpacking them one by one next week. Uh, but Paul really began engaging the Corinthians' questions about spiritual gifts, the gifts of the spirits in 12, chapter 12, verse 1, because the Corinthians had a problem. 
The problem was that they began to, to use these gifts that God had given by his Holy Spirit to the church in ways that had a lot more to do with the personality of their culture than it had to do with the personality of the Holy Spirit himself, the third member of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Specifically, what they'd been doing was this. They, they had made the gifts of the Spirit something about themselves. They turned their attention not outward, but inward and became competitive and selfish. And they sought to determine who was better than whom in the church because of what gift they had. It's this competition. Who's more spiritual? Who's better? Well, what gift do you have? You, know, you don't have the gift of tongues, so you're beneath me. And they use it this way. And they did that instead of what God had intended with these gifts. Because what God had intended is what we looked at last week. And it was this, that they would be a tool for praising and glorifying God, a tool for serving others for their good, a tool for growing together in unity as a church of God. So last week was our first week jumping into this stuff and, and looking at it a little bit. And we began at 30,000 feet. So really high overarching view of what's going on with these gifts. And this week, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to look at three verses, but we're still not quite ready to look at the particulars of the gifts themselves. We'll look at verses four to six. And, and we're not ready, I think, because of this. I think it's because like the Corinthians, we can have a tendency as well to focus on things like the gifts of the Spirit with way too much gusto and eagerness to try and figure out what's ours, right? Or we can do the opposite. Maybe we've been part of a church that is all about the gifts of the Spirit, right? And maybe we've reacted to that and now we don't really want anything to do with those gifts. We just see problems there. And neither of those things are good. Neither of those things are biblical. Neither of those things are what Paul wants for us in this passage. For example, I want to show you a few of the ways that, that Christians can, can really mess this up and mess up these gifts and why we need more specific context in verses four to six. Uh, well, some Christians in, in recent history, the recent history of the church, they focus so much attention on some of the gifts of the Spirit that they believe you haven't received the Holy Spirit at all unless you speak in tongues. And if you don't know what tongues are, that's okay. Stay tuned. Come back next week and we'll talk about tongues. But they believe that unless you speak in tongues in this particular way, this particular manifestation of the Holy Spirit, then you actually don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you are from that background and you felt the pain of not speaking in tongues, perhaps, uh, and the way that that's brought division in the church. Or maybe you did speak in tongues and you, and you saw the way that you churned and, and you judged others. And, and there's this thing that was happening. On the other hand, there are other Christians that, that don't maybe make much of this passage, but do the opposite. They react to it and they turn the other direction and, and they see what's happened in, in the church, like the Pentecostal church, whose official teaching was the one we were just talking about. And, and maybe they've reacted and you've reacted the other direction. You believe that these gifts have entirely ceased to operate in the church of God. You're like, they're, they're no longer for the church. And these group of people, they're called cessationists. They might say, you know, I'd actually, if you, if you manifest the gifts of the spirit that we're talking about in this passage, maybe that's actually just a, de a deception from our enemy. And that actually has nothing to do with the teaching of the Bible at all. And they try to justify their teaching for parts of scripture, just like uh, the Pentecostals would. But I think neither of them do enough justice to the full scope of what God's doing in scripture. 
So you might be wondering, okay, what do we think here at Christ City Church? Uh, what do the, the elders believe here? Well, we believe here at Christ City Church in something called continuationism. And well, that's this idea that, that we believe that God is actually working powerfully still and miraculously by his Holy Spirit in his church today. He's doing it right now. And we believe that he's not just doing that through the, the chief, most amazing miracle of, of saving people, which is the most important thing that he does and refining us and, and making us more like Jesus. We believe that he's doing that. We believe that he even uses particular gifts, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read in this passage. We believe that they continue today. And yet, we want to make sure when we read about the gifts, when we learn about the gifts, that we do so carefully paying attention to the context of what Paul is saying. Carefully paying attention to how Paul wants us to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how they're to be active in our lives. So that's what we're looking at verses four to six today because we need a bit more time, I think, again, looking at those specific. What's God doing? Because the big picture matters. So this morning, are you excited about the gifts? Anybody? Some people, okay. Uh, are some people a little bit nervous about the gifts? Yeah, also, yes. You have know, people at different camps, uh, maybe. Um, well, regardless of where you're at and you're thinking about the gifts, this morning, Paul has something much bigger than the gifts to show us. What he wants to show us is the giver. Because every gift is about the giver. He wants us to, to see and to, to marvel and to rejoice in who God is as the giver of every good gift. So I want to show you two points this morning as we look at these three short verses. I want us to see and just marvel at God's generosity and giving such a diversity of gifts. All, right, all about his generosity, just marveling in it. Second, I, I want to see God's heart in having given us these gifts. And that we'll see in this passage, there's a heart where he wants to draw us together, having, having received the gifts, to then be united together in worship. Not full of division, united together in worship as one church. So two points, God's generosity uh, and God's heart. So Christ, look with me first at verses four to six and our first point, God's generosity. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You see, in three verses, in three different times, in three different ways, Paul emphasizes variety. Variety, variety, variety. And this word variety is really talking about the various ways that God has chosen to apportion all that he has given to his church. And notice this, in each use of the word variety, Paul adds another whole category of ways that God is at work in the church. It's not just varieties, but varieties that are categories. There's varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. And in each use of the word variety in each of these categories, Paul actually even goes one step further and he emphasizes one of the three members of the triune God. For the spirit, he talks about the gifts. For the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, he talks about service. For God, the Father, I think it's referencing to, he's talking about the one God working in all of the activities that happen in a church. See, unlike the Corinthians, Paul does not unhealthily 
single out one gift or even one member of God. He looks at the full depth of the work of the triune God and his generosity in his church. It's amazing. Paul wants us to have a big picture of what's going on. First, Paul says in verse four, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. But then Paul adds this other category, right? To what God is graciously doing in his church. And he writes in verse five, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like he's saying this. Yes, Corinthians, it is true. Praise God that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, you're a little too focused on those things. There's also one Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the person of the Trinity who, though he was fully God, he willingly became a servant and was made human. And he died in our place for our sins so we could be forgiven and set free from destructive, sinful habits that we're enslaved to. So we could be forgiven of our sins. We could be set free from the spiritual powers that hold us in bondage and slavery in our sin. So we could be freed from the penalty of death and raised to new life with Jesus Christ himself. He is the servant who died. And he said about himself these words, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So does God just work in his church through gifts of his spirit? Does he? Is that the only way he works in his church? No, of course not. One of the ways God works in his church, aside from giving gifts to the spirit, is by changing us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To become a servant like Jesus is a servant. God's at work in our midst right now doing that. Varieties of service, but one Lord. So I want to ask you this morning, how many of you are, are just awed that Jesus would die for you? How many of you are, are just so excited that, that there is a God who loves you, even you, who, who sees you as you really are, who knows you, who's not intimidated by your sin, who loves and cares for you. And he, he came and he, he went to that cross and he died so you could be forgiven and freed and made new, reconciled with God. Like, that's amazing. And how, how many of you being awed by the servant-hearted God who saved you are being changed a little bit at a time to become a servant like he is? God is doing that. It's one of the ways that he's working in his church. It's happening for every person here who's trusted in Jesus. And we're all serving. If you're not serving, serve. (laughs) But we all serve in different ways. We serve when when you bring someone a meal, which happens a lot here at Christ City Church. You serve like Jesus, empowered by Jesus, when you help someone clean their home, when you help someone move, when you give generously to those who are in need. You serve like Jesus and he's equipping you to serve when, when you meet to care for someone in crisis. Even in the little ways of things like just Sunday mornings, you know, we got to get going and we got to get here early. We got to have service teams so we can actually get into the theater and have our gathering and then get out of the theater again. That's all serving, equipped to serve because Jesus has first served you. When you pray for and support one another, when you help one another, all of these things, if you do them as a Christian who loves Jesus Christ, who has being, who is the chief servant, you are doing it empowered by the God who is at work in his church.
God gives gifts of the Spirit. He gives this gift and, and works the powerful service that happens through Jesus Christ, the, the chief servant. And then Paul continues and he says in verse 6, there's this other way, this other thing that's happening. He says, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, I don't know if you know this, but God is powerfully at work in his church. He has been for 2,000 years. He's been transforming and shaping this world to the message of Jesus Christ as it's lived out in real people who are the church of Christ. It's unstoppable. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It means the church is going to go forward with the good news and the life that Jesus brings and overpower all the darkness in this world. Yeah, we have problems. Yeah, we're a church that's full of sinful people and we still screw things up. But there is a God who is working in all of our activities. Isn't that amazing? And he's accomplishing his purpose. So if you think about the global historical church, you got to think about the ways that, that only statistically some of the work of this church has been prophesying and speaking in tongues. A small part of it. But God's been at work in every way, in all of his generosity, working in all the activities of the church. He's at work whenever someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. He's at work when we start to feel the conviction for the first time that I am a sinful man. Have mercy on me, O oh God. He's at work whenever new churches are planted. He's at work whenever new ministries are started, like the new ministry we talked about this morning, Connie, when she came up here and talked about the way that we're going to have this book study at Christ City Church and, and people in the church empowered by God are using their gifts to, to build up the body of Christ. God is at work whenever existing ministries continue because it's hard for them to continue because it's tiring to serve. <laughs> and yet God empowers us. He helps us not give up, to, but to be joyful and to labor. God is at work in his church as Christians continue to suffer faithfully through whatever circumstances they're going through, bearing witness to Jesus Christ. God is at work in tired Christians who don't give up, at work when the gospel is shared, at work when sin is rejected and repented of. We turn to God to trust in Christ when we love and encourage one another here, when broken relationships are reconciled here, God is at work in those activities. When you forgive somebody, God is at work. When we grow together in obedience under the word of God as a body, God is at work in his church. They're all the works of God. They're all to be received with thanksgiving. You see, Paul emphasizes the variety of God's mighty works in his church through Father, through Son, and through Holy Spirit to humble the Corinthians because they'd focused only on one thing that they could boast about. To humble them and to cause them to be awed with the breadth and the goodness and the generosity of God, which is better than they imagined. Now, I, I remember a few times when, when I was younger, when I was at a talent show. Have you guys ever been to a talent show? How about a recital? You've been to a recital? Recitals? Have you ever performed in a recital? It's a weird thing, isn't it? Right? Especially if you're first, rather for the talent show or for the recital, and, and you go up first, and it goes kind of okay, right? and you feel pretty good about it, 
I'm like, all right. And then you sit down and the next person's just a savant, you know, and it's, it's next level and you feel about this big. And then it kind of goes on and you watch everybody perform and everybody do their thing. And you realize this room is full of talent. Thought pretty highly of myself and I'm realizing there's a lot of other things that work here. See, I, I think Paul is, is trying to help the Corinthians see this, but, but not have them focus on their talent. <laughs> have them focus on the God who gives. The God who gives generously and widely so they would appropriately take their place in the church with humility and thanksgiving. See, the Corinthians have begun to, to view the church, I think, not, not as this thing that God's building and, and giving gracious gifts to, uh, but they started thinking selfishly and competitively about their place in the church. And they thought of the church, I think, very much like an athletic competition that you could win, right? Like, you know, hey, I'm against the other people in the church and I'm ahead of them and, and I can win. And they completely missed the church wasn't like that at all. So the church is a lot more like a complex Lego set, right? Or a complex kit car, if you want, you know, want to get more mechanical and adult with it, right? Where, where everybody in the church has a part, right? And we're constructing one thing together for the glory of God, but none of us can do it by ourselves because we need the other people. It's actually not competitive at all. It's cooperative to the glory of God. And they've forgotten that. They've forgotten that we're called by God and gifted by God to benefit one another to grow in unity to the glory of God as one vibrant, united church. And the bottom line is that the Corinthians were fixated on one gift and they became competitive and boastful. So Paul responds by showing them how the generous God is at work in amazing and different ways in his church. Now, I think that's quite beautiful. But I also think that Paul is doing more than, than just teaching the Corinthians some truths, right? Because he's not really after their heads. He's after their hearts, right? I, I think he's trying to pastor them. I think he's trying to counsel them. He's aiming for the hearts, not just their heads. And he knows that the only antidote to any of our competitive boasting is to see God's love for each other in giving us the gifts that he desires, we got to be awed by God's love, I think, to kind of have it get under and around the competition and insecurity that we have in our own hearts. So, Christy, think about this. God is your father. He's your father. He loves you. He's also my father, and he loves me. He's also the father of the person sitting next to you, and he loves them. He's the father who loves us, and the loving father of God is at work, or the God the Father is at work in our midst, and he loves giving good gifts to us. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I remember going to work with my dad. I loved to go to work with my dad. I, I, he was in construction. Uh, he was a contractor uh, and a framer, and I joined him at the, the job site. And I loved to follow him around on the job sites from an early age, and he loved to have me there. And he'd give me various tasks to do. he gave me tools to use, simple tasks to perform. And the reality was that in doing that, he kind of hindered his own work, right? Because he could have done everything more efficiently and better with fewer problems than, than having me try to do whatever I was doing. But because I'm his son, he loves me. 
And he wanted me on his job site with him. He wanted me on his job site with him. He gave me what I needed to participate in his work. You know, I didn't know how to use those tools very well, but he didn't mind. When I screwed something up, it didn't bother him. Even when I showed up on that job site and, and I was just kind of grumpy that he brought me along, he was patient with me, drawing me into his work in relationship with him. And if that's true about my very imperfect and sinful dad, how much more true is that of God our Father? He loves you and he's equipped you in a variety of ways, each of us differently, because he wants each of his children to share in his work. Chris, the Corinthians' problem was that they had stopped looking in awe at their loving father who gifted them and equipped them and they just started looking at themselves instead. That happens pretty quickly in our lives, doesn't it? We all do this, I think, in various ways. We take our eyes off of God and just rejoicing and receiving and knowing the love of the Father for us. And we start to turn our eyes inward and we look at ourselves and we become a bit insecure, don't we? Right? We just see our failures. I see all the ways that I've messed up this week. Right? And that's what we see. That's what we're conscious of. And then in our insecurities or maybe in our, in our pride, what do we do? Well, we fight with one another because it makes us feel better in our insecurities and our sins and our failings to feel like we're doing better than the person next to us, right? And we try to just get a leg up a little bit. You know, I, I'm, I'm better than them and I'm feeling good about myself. But what God wants for insecure competitive Corinthians and what he wants for insecure you and I is to take our eyes off ourselves and remember him. He wants us to take our eyes off of ourselves and remember that he's the giver. He's my father. He loves me. He invites me to participate in his work. Now, three times Paul mentions a variety of God's gifts. And that's incredible. He's really emphasizing that. I want you to stop and think about that. I think that means that, that, that God knows you, right? He doesn't just give gifts indiscriminately, grabbing something from the bag and, and throwing it out at the congregation. You know, like uh, whether it fits or not, who cares, right? Maybe like some of you got Christmas presents and, and, and you know when you accidentally open up the wrong gift and you're like, you know, I, I have no use as a, as, a, as a man for a gift card to Victoria's Secret. Like, like I don't know who got me this, but it wasn't for, it's not for me, right? Like, where you realize they, they, God doesn't give like that because God knows you. He knows each of his children and loves each of his children to the point that he gifts them specifically in a way that is a benefit for them and to his glory. In his wisdom, he's given you the gift that's suited to you. So here's the question. Are you competitive and insecure this morning? At all? I am. I think this word in these verses for us is is don't compare yourself with your siblings in Christ. Don't. Instead, look to the Father who loves you, the God who is at work in his church, and know that he has wisely known you 
and gifted you in exactly the ways that he desires and that you need so that you can join in his work and receive that gift with gratitude and praise him. Now, that's what I want to show you next. I want you to see the way that this, this gratitude will change us and will reorient us around not ourselves, but in worship around God. Look at our next point, God's heart to unite us in worship in verses four to six. Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. See, all these diverse gifts are not ultimately about you or me. They're not about us. They're about God. And even in this passage, you can see the ways that Paul is constantly driving the Corinthians' attention, not just from the varieties of gifts, but to something, to the one God who's given them. He says, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. Paul starts with varieties, but moves to the giver. From varieties of gifts to the giver. And why does he do that? Why is God wanting us to have our eyes on him? Well, because God's desire for all the works and the gifts and the service that happen in this church, his desire is that they would unite us together in worship around him for his goodness. He wants us to worship him, to be drawn together as one church that collectively worships and prays God for the gifts. You know, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul made this exact same point. And, and he said in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 to 7, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's like we talked about last week, when you get that sip of water from the tap, right? And you're so thirsty. You don't glory in the tap. You glory in the goodness of the water. Right? And in the same way, we are laborers in God's field, gifted by God's generosity. And as we serve, we worship him, not ourselves. Because we're just the workers in the field. It's not about us. It's about God who is glorious and praiseworthy and worthy of all of our attention at all times. And in our worship, we are drawn together, not in our competitive comparison, right? Where we're all divided. It's like we're all looking collectively at the same thing, being drawn together in one, in worship and praise, celebrating God for his generosity. And that's exactly Christ City, what we need. You know, sometimes you, you might hear this, that you might hear that, that God is a megalomaniac, that God must be an arrogant God if he desires our worship and our praise. Have you ever heard that before? I've heard it lots of times, you know, who is this God? Where does he get off in wanting us to praise him and to worship him? How dare he? But the reality is that God is not arrogant in wanting our worship and our praise and drawing all of us together in unity and worship for him. You see, arrogance is different than God because arrogance happens when we think that we deserve more praise than we actually do. So think about it. When you walk through the, when you walk into the room, maybe when you think of someone who you've seen who's a bit arrogant and when they walk in the room and they give off that feeling that they just want to be praised by you, 
think about all the reasons why it makes you kind of like rub the wrong way. Why does it bother you? Doesn't it bother you because you know that they're not all that? Right? You know that like there's a big disconnect between who they really are and the praise that they deserve and they don't deserve that much praise. Right? That, that's the arrogance of humankind and why it would be wrong for us to wander into the room, for me to walk in the room and say, hey, you know what I want, Christ, today? I want you to worship me. Right? That would be so wrong because I'm not worthy of your worship. And that's different than God who is worthy of our worship. See, when God walks into the room and we see the fullness of his revelation to the person of Jesus Christ, what happens? Our worship doesn't feel coerced. It feels right. It just fits. Like my heart was made for this, to worship and adore you because you are that good. Just think for a moment about who God is. How has he revealed himself through Jesus. Well, he's the one who is God most high and yet shows us in Jesus his humility because he was born as a vulnerable infant. After the gathering, go grab someone's infant and hold them. And think about that. The God most high was born like this. Humble. Worthy of our adoration. He's the one who created us. He's the creator of all things. And yet he lowered himself to become part of of his creation. Part of not just any creation, his good creation that is now fallen and corrupted with sin. So that God himself is now liable to get a cold, to get sick. He's the one who is sinless and perfect, never a wicked thought or hurtful word or deed. And yet he was born and entered the thick of our humanity to be lied to, to be hit, to be rejected. And though he is the God of salvation, Jesus was spat on, whipped and beaten, and crucified by the very ones that he came to save. And why did he do that? He did it out of love for us, to save us, because there is no other way to save humankind. The wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches. The death that we deserve is the judgment of God. And Jesus Christ instead puts himself forward and stands in our place and for our sins on that cross, dying in our place. So we can be forgiven, washed clean of the debt of our sin, reconciled with God, filled with this new life with the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been given. And you know why he did that? It's another angle here, I think. Because that was the only way to heal our division. Because when we begin to worship God for all that he reveals himself to be, that and only that is when we stop our squabbling. We stop squabbling about who's the greatest because when we see Jesus, we realize it's not me. I'm just a sinner that he had mercy on. I'm just the one who receives the incredible abundance of his mercy and grace. And we're content in that place to forgive one another as we've been forgiven, to serve one another as we've been served, to love one another as we've been loved, not to compete, but together to join in like we were doing already this morning with hands lifted high, worshiping Jesus, forgetting ourselves. The Christ said, it's this humble God 
revealing himself in Jesus who gives gifts. And he is worthy of our worship, every ounce that we have to give. And this worship heals our division. Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. There are varieties of service with the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Grace City, God is much better, much more loving, much more patient and generous than you realize. He is. And I think that's Paul's point in this passage, in these few verses. As Paul looked at the church in Corinth, and frankly, it was a pretty repulsive church. It was full of all the things that, that you want to get distance from when you see it in another human being, full of sin and, and division. It was just awful. But what does Paul do? What, what's his solution throughout the letter to this sinful church? Well, his solution is to show this church the goodness and the love of God for them in Jesus. He wants them to see more and more how good God is. Paul knew that the Corinthians needed not just a rebuke, though he was willing to give it to them, right? He's rebuked them throughout the letter. But what they needed more than a rebuke even was to see the love of God for them in Jesus Christ, to remember God's generosity for them. And that's why Paul could start 1 Corinthians with words of encouragement to a church that was such a mess. 1 Corinthians 4, oh, chapter 1, verses 4 to 9 say this. To this church with all these problems, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at the generosity of God to that church. If you're feeling that competition or that discontent, that insecurity in your heart that's this morning, maybe you've forgotten the same thing the Corinthians forgot. Maybe you, like, like me, I think this week in many ways, have forgotten how worthy of worship our God is because of his love and his mercy for sinners like us. See, what this boastful, competitive church needed was to take their eyes off themselves and turn to the God who loved them, and it's what we need too more than anything. So I just want to want to end with that. I want to stop there before we go into the gifts proper uh, next week. And I want to invite you to take this week to remember God's generosity for you. To worship and adore him and praise him for his goodness. To stop complaining about what you don't have compared to the person next to you or what you want and, and he's not given you. And to rejoice and say that he's a loving father who's generous towards all his children. Let's repent of our insecurity and our competition and worship him together as one united church. Can we pray? God, we come to you and we admit that we're far more like the Corinthians than we ever want to admit. 
Lord, we, we are full of insecurity and comparison, discontentment, competition. Lord, we're quick to divide with one another. Uh, Lord, we're slow to realize that you're the father, not just of me, the savior of me, but the savior and the father of, of all those in this room who put their trust in Jesus. That your spirit is indwelling us, not just me. Lord, and when we don't show grace and, and charity and, and love and mercy toward, an, toward one another as a result. So God, I pray for one thing. Would you fill us up with your love? Would you fill us up with joy and gratitude, gratefully receiving every gift that you give? There's so many. You're at work in such a variety of ways. And help us to lift our voices high to praise you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.